Welcome to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast presented by our good friends at Dr. Dish. Contact Dr. Dish, mention this podcast, and receive a discount on their shooting machines. The goal of this podcast is to help us all grow as leaders and coaches, and I hope you find this podcast beneficial in your coaching life. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review and also a comment about what you like about your favorite guest. Also, the Hoosier Gym Coaches Clinic will be here before you know it, August 27th and 28th in the historic Hoosier Gym where they filmed the movie Hoosiers in Knightstown, Indiana, about 45 minutes east of Indianapolis. Mark Cassio, Tyler Costin, and Phil Beckner are all giving two sessions apiece. We have Rob Jones of University of Richmond talking about Princeton offense, Joe's decision, a USA basketball speaker, leadership speakers, Travis Doherty, Jamie Beckler. Please visit the show notes of the podcast to see how to register and the full schedule. I hope to see you there. Now, let's get to the podcast. I want to welcome Jim Boone, our first three-time guest on the podcast. How you doing, coach? Wow, that's uh that's amazing. Uh that that I've now been on three times. Yeah, you know, I, I, we only have about 75 80 podcasts out there you've been on three times and your episode the first one on pack line the second one on blocker mover have had tons of listens and i always wanted to pick your mind about culture but it was never the right time in those settings so uh again we're gonna be talking not x's and o's today talking culture and leadership but again thanks for coming on three times i know you're a busy man well coach i appreciate it uh trust me um I understand that there's a lot of different ways you could go with this. There's people that you could select uh, anywhere in the country. And the fact that you chose me is, is truly an honor. I'm humbled. Uh, I'm really humbled when you tell me it's the third time we've been on. <laughs> and I'm excited to be here today and talk a little bit about culture. It's great. It's one of the things we, uh, we think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the longer I coach and do things, I realize that X and O's are vital, very important. Um, but again, if you have the wrong culture or not a great culture or don't know how to build culture, X and O's are irrelevant. They, uh, what, what do we say all the time that, um, culture, uh, beats strategy every time, every time. Absolutely. Well, you've been coaching, uh, what, when was your first year? When did you begin coaching? Oh, I started as an assistant coach in the 80s, so uh, it's interesting you'd ask that because I just told somebody this the other day. I've actually been playing or coaching now in five different decades. Uh, so I've seen a lot of change. I've seen uh, kids change, parents change, coaching change, um, and I've been very blessed to have been in it for as long as I have. This will be my you know, I'm not even sure. I think it's my 36th year as a head coach coming up. Um, I've been very fortunate to be able to, to do this for a long time at both the Division Two and Division One levels. And I was an assistant coach at both the Division One and NAIA level. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a great ride. It's something I've thoroughly enjoyed doing. Absolutely. And you're one of the most respected coaches with your style of play and how disciplined you guys are. But again, it goes back to your culture. So you've been coaching for decades. You've been able to be uh, tutored and mentored by phenomenal coaches. But what is, you know, Coach Jim Boone, what are your cultural pillars and standards for your program? And 
how have those maybe even changed over over time or do they change? First of all, that's a great that's a great question. And I'd like to start by saying this. Uh, you don't create culture with signs and slogans. You create culture with people and leadership. You know, culture is it's like one of the the hot buzzwords out there. And I and I believe this, coach, we've always had uh culture we just called it different things right uh, through the years whether it was called philosophy program philosophy wh whatever it was you've had a a standard expectations a blueprint a framework if you will that you live by and so that's the most important thing whatever your culture is it's got to be something that you um that you as a head coach live it not just that you want the people around you, but you've got to live it also. Now, for us, it always starts um, with two very important words, character and energy. We want, um, and the, the, these are before you ever get to the pillars, before you can even get to that. Uh, because culture starts with recruiting. Starts with recruiting, right? Um You've got to have the right people on your bus uh, to to uh, coin John Gordon's book, The Energy Bus, which is a great culture book. Um, and when we've taken over a program, I always invite everyone on the bus. But sometimes uh, through the course of the journey, people find out that it's not right for them. And so then you've got to let them off and let them go on their their own way. So it starts with recruiting character people. And I'm one that I've always wanted. Uh, I want guys that are energetic, that are positive, that are enthusiastic around me. And that might be something I've changed a little bit when you ask things that have changed. I used to not look for that as much when I first started as a head coach in recruiting. And now it's something that I look for constantly. I don't deal well with, uh, you know, moody people, the guy that comes in one day and he's all about his team and energetic and he comes in the next day and he's sitting over in the corner, you know, pouting about something. I, I, I don't do well with that guy. So we just try not to recruit those. We don't recruit those kind of people to be a part of what we are. So it, it brings me back when I talk about character to the movie uh, which is one of my all-time favorites, Miracle, um, with Herb Brooks and the Olympic team. I think it was the 1980-81 Olympic team. Wouldn't have been 81, probably 80 or 84. Um, and he is selecting his team. And basically, he's got the team picked. And he looks at his assistant coach, who was Craig Patrick, who went on to a, a long career in the uh, NHL. And he says... Uh, Craig looks at him and says, wait a minute, coach, the guys you have on your list here, they're not even the best players. You know, we just started. We're only a day into this. And basically he looked at uh, Craig Patrick and he said, Craig, we're not looking for the best ones. We're looking for the right ones. Dick Bennett, I remember years ago, made this statement to me when I was watching a practice at Wisconsin that 
his advice whenever you start a new program, and let this sink in for a second, but his advice whenever you start a new program is to recruit guys you can lose with first. Now, think about it. Recruit guys you can lose with first. And what he meant in that statement was simply, you're going to go through some tough times. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be things that there are going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be detours as, as you're taking this journey. And you better have people on that bus. You better have people in your program that are going to stay true to you and true to your culture and your philosophy and who you are and are not going to deviate from that. So sometimes I really feel like what happens is as coaches, and we've all done this, we've all done it, that we get seduced by talent. We see a kid who can run and jump or is really skilled, but they don't have the work ethic. They don't have the attitude. They don't have the uh, academic background. They don't have whatever it is they don't have. And, but we say, okay, I can get them over that hump. I'll take this kid because he's a really good player. And you just got to be really careful with that. And I don't mean this to sound negative towards anyone, but it reminds me of the old saying that, you know, you can take a hog and put lipstick on him and put a tie on him. But at the end of the day, you got him all dressed up, but he's still a hog. He's not changing. He's still a hog. So it starts first and foremost with the people that you're bringing into your program. Then for us, we have four foundational cornerstones, pillars, as you referred to them, if you will. And <coughs> excuse me, this is what fits us. It's what we're about. <coughs> and they haven't really changed. I've changed maybe a little bit of the uh, what we've called them over the years, but they've basically remained the same during my entire 36 years. So remember, we started with the baseline of recruiting good people. And, and there's something I left out of that that I'd like to, to say before I get to our, our pillars. And that's it. You know, Socrates said, know thyself. I think it's important that you know who you are as a coach. Just like I said, I don't deal well with moody people. There are players that I'm not right for, and I know that. Just like there's players that are not right for us. There's student athletes that are not right for us. And so as a coach, I need to have a great understanding of who I am and what I'm about. And I need to be who I am so that I can recruit young men who are going to fit that mold. So it's, it's not only character, it's recruiting guys who fit us as, as people and coaches. Then from there, our foundation, our foundational cornerstones, the first one is hard work. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, uh, uh, that's just the price of admission. If you're not willing to work hard, you're going to have a tough time making it in college basketball. It's, it's an entry level. It's expected. You better be a hard worker. But that's not always the case. Now, I do think hard work is a, uh, is a learned skill. 
something that you can improve upon and get better with. It's something that any incoming freshman into our program is a little overwhelmed with at first, but as they get indoctrinated into who we are, which I'll talk a little bit about mentorship here later, um, they become a little, they become better and better at that. But I think the key there is, is that when we're, we're selecting people to be a part of us, there, there needs to be a resume present of their ability to work hard. So that's why I don't, I like to see practice. I like to see a kid practice. I like to see them. I like to see them in a game say, say, you know, right now we've got AAU games going on. So in an AAU game, when they're down 20 or up 20, you know, how are they, uh, what type of effort are they putting out? Because that tells a lot about what they're going to be uh, for us. That's that resume I'm talking about. Our second cornerstone is toughness. And, you know, everybody talks about physical toughness, but for me, it's more important that we're selecting people who have a degree of mental toughness. You don't quit or stop a physical exercise um, because you're exhausted. You know, it's, it's rare that you're going to, you're going to work so hard. You're going to collapse. Okay. You're not quitting because you're exhausted. You're, you're quitting mentally. And we don't, we want people that are going to be able to, to deal with that. You know, I, I, I think this is one of the things we talked about in the pack line discussion. We don't have a lot of drills. We're very um, repetitive in the drills that we utilize. And we do those over and over and over to the point of they can become monotonous, but that's part of building that mental toughness that we want out of our players. Um, and without doing that, you're not building that. There's a big difference between grit and glamor. You know, grit is what allows you to say, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to do it. And that's what we're about defensively and offensively is we're working like crazy to, to outlast you, to outlast the offense or to, to, to grind that defense, as we like to say, into oblivion with our, our cutting, our movement, and our screening. So that's why toughness is a really important thing for us in recruiting because we feel that's a big part of our identity and who we are and who we want to be. And then my third cornerstone is passion. You know, you know, the easiest way I can say this um, is we want to recruit the guys who want, not the guys who want to, but the guys who have to. I think there's a big difference between what you would like to have and between what you have to have. I want the guys who have to be successful in the classroom. You know, they have, they, they have to excel there. They have to excel on the court. They, they, they're not going to be satisfied uh, to come to practice and not give you a maximum effort. That's just who, and you know, I'm not like any other coach, you know, we want gym rats. We want guys that are going to come in and be in the gym and want to work and want to be good players but again, remember, I started this by saying that we have to live that. And so if we want our players to be gym rats, 
then we as coaches have to be gym rats. You know, it was like a long time ago, I heard uh, Rick Patino, Coach Patino say, you know, you've got to be willing to sweat with the players. Uh, we've got to be in there with them. We've got to be working with them. They need to see that's what our program is about. And then finally, uh, unity. And obviously, we're looking for team guys. And I mentioned AAU and uh, high school briefly uh, earlier. You know, it's like when I go to a game, whether it's an AAU game or a high school game, I like to get there early. I like to see how a young man goes through warm-ups. You know, are they just uh, kind of getting through it or are they going through it with some effort and some intensity level? Are they doing what their coach wants them to do? Do they have an energy and enthusiasm for their teammates? Um, you know, can you can you tell that they're really wrapped up in their team, that it's about their team and not just them? You know, I'll be, you know, and I'm old school a little bit, but one of the things I hate to go see, and I realize it's just a trickle-down effect from the NBA, which is a totally different animal. But you go to a high school game or an AAU game and you got a kid out there and he's warming up with headphones on and he's just like isolated from his team. And this is this is a team game. You know, that that old African proverb, if you want to go fast, go go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And we're going to get a lot further along if we're willing to have guys that are invested in our team. No, those those are really good. Um, I wanted to go back to the to the toughness corner song that, that you mentioned. Sure. So how how can you let's say you recruit a kid and you just see he needs a little growth in this area? You know, maybe he wasn't quite where you think or you, or, or you just know he's he's hard work, passion, unity, works hard in the classroom, but mentally we need to kind of take him to the next level. How can we as coaches do that? Because that may be the most difficult one you know, mental toughness. How do you, is it through difficult practices? Is it through hard conversations? Is it through, as you mentioned before, mentorship, which I know you're going to talk about as well. So a lot of, uh, a lot of, and all of the above things that you just mentioned. Um, like for instance, in the weight room. And I think the weight room is a great place to, to help, build mental toughness you're trying to get that next rep and you're and you know your body uh let's say you're doing a bench press your arms your chest your shoulders are saying no put that sucker down uh so we do a couple of things and i think this builds team as well and all of our weight room exercises you have a partner that partner's not allowed to hold that bar have you ever walked in the weight room and the guy's sitting there and he's doing more work than the guy lifting the squadron yeah. is? He's not allowed to hold that bar. Um, and he has to count your reps out loud so everybody in the place can hear him. And when I say loud, I mean we want them repping those things out loud. Um, I think that helps us because you're fighting through some things you didn't think you could do. Uh if we do conditioning exercises, there's time, you know, we, I'll say this, um, Matt, this is one of the things we've probably changed on through the years. We, we don't do as much uh, just going outside and running like we used to do at one point. In some ways, I think that really hurts us uh, just from building a, a, a conditioning base. 
But see, with the NCAA giving us the opportunity to be in the gym and work with our players, I'd rather invest that time in the gym. Right. And as I tell our staff all the time, we're not trying to build a cross-country team or a track team. We're building a basketball team. So, but if we do running, maybe we're doing like, um, you know, we have things we call 33s, which are basically three down and backs. And, um, you know, we might come in and say, all right, we're running 33s a day but we don't tell them how many. So now you get to the point and, and this is, this is an old uh, Navy SEALs deal. You know, they don't know what's happening that day. They don't know what they're going to throw at you that day. Most guys quit in the anticipation of just what's going to, you know, what's going to happen next. And what we're trying to do is get them to mentally focus on what we're doing right now, not how much time's left, not what the score is, if there's a score, not, you know, but just focus on the moment. And sometimes I think uh, I heard this the other day, and I'm going to, I'll interject this right now. I think this is an awesome book. If you haven't read it, you need to. I recommend it highly to your listeners. And that is Winning by Tim Grover. Uh, Tim is the uh, author of the book Relentless. And he also, I think it's called Jump Attack is a, is a weightlifting program he put out. But for those of your listeners who know who Tim Grover is, uh, he was Michael Jordan's uh, trainer. He was Kobe Bryant's trainer. He was Dwayne Wade's trainer. And, you know, he talks a lot about in the book things that go into, obviously, winning. And one of those things is the ability uh, time management. And everybody talks about time management, wanting to have a schedule or being a, paying attention to a specific time. And I thought this really resonated with me from a basketball standpoint is I don't want a guy coming to practice thinking, okay, there's an hour left or there's 15 minutes left or there's 10 minutes left. I want him focused on the moment and fully invested in what we're doing. And if you do that, you're just, your, your level of improvement uh, is exponential as opposed to being worried about what's coming next. Getting back to the running, you know, just not telling them how many we're going to do that day. That's hard mentally. So you're forcing them to go through that. Um, as we mentioned in practice, going through repetitions and having senior leadership that is encouraging and pushing and helping them to get through that. Uh, the conversations that you mentioned that you have in your, your office or on the court or in the locker room or in the cafeteria, wherever it is that you, you meet with your guys at or meet with a player at. Film is another excellent way because you show a young man, now here's where you could have gotten on the floor. Here's where you could have taken a charge. Here's where we needed to make that next pass. Here's where if you're just in the right position, then we're going to cut off that drive and force the next pass. It's all those kind of things. So they're all wrapped up into one. Um, and I think there's some other things like, um, you know, I've mentioned this many times before. Don Meyer was a great influence on us as he has been on a lot of coaches across the nation. I don't think there's anybody that's given more to basketball and basketball coaches than Coach Meyer has. And I was uh, blessed to be able to call him a friend and a mentor. But, um, uh, you know, coach, he had three things that were really important to him. And we, we preach these. In fact, we have a sign in our locker room that has them on it that uh, Lombardi time, 
you know, we want our guys to be 10 to 15 minutes early at everything we do. That takes a little bit of uh, discipline on your part, which is a little bit of mental toughness. All right, I'm getting ready. I've got to go get on the bus because we're leaving at um, one. So I got to have everything packed and be on that bus at 1245. And so I've got to set up my day to do that. Um, the, the, the second one, the second thing for us and, and, you know, I, uh, I love this one cause this is what we're all about. Everyone takes notes. So whenever we're in a team setting in our locker room, our guys have notebooks and we want them to write everything down. And if I'm in that meeting and one of our assistant coaches is speaking, I'm taking notes again. What did I mention earlier? I have to live our culture too. And if I'm speaking, not just our players are taking notes, our assistant coaches are taking notes. We are a note taking program. And then the last one is everyone picks up trash. And that's just a metaphor for, we want to leave a place better than it was before we got there. So I hope that answers your question about trying to bring somebody along and, and, and improve their mental toughness through the years. And the last thing I would say to that, Matt, is that a big part of it is maturity as well. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that that's good. As you were talking about kind of being in the moment with working out and not knowing how many sprints or whatever you have to do a guy I was talking to recently, this is kind of how he defined mental toughness was being in the moment, you know, in the game. Great definition. Yeah, because Amen. think about it. How many times in life, whether it's something, a relationship, a game, a job, we're thinking about the next big thing, or we're also living in regret or celebrating something that we did a while back. Same thing in basketball. The kid's kicking themselves for a you know missed layup they made in the first quarter, but, hey, it's the fourth quarter. We need you locked in now. So just being in the moment, not living too far in the future, not living in the past, and you said all those things. Um, something you were, let me, you were, let me bring this home to yeah. you. That, well, this is close to home for you. You know, everybody made fun of it at first, but think about it every time Nick Saban, uh, and he's, every time because he's done it several times, every time Nick Saban's team won a championship and people were criticizing him because he wasn't smiling or what, he was already getting on to the next thing he had to do. Yeah. He wasn't sitting there and spending time, um, you know, relishing over a victory. He was, give himself a couple minutes and then I'm on mm -hmm. to the next thing. And that's, that's part of being in the moment. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned something early on and you about how, how adults have changed a little and kids have changed, but you know, obviously kids, kids have changed, but I think adults have, have maybe changed more. And this could be for a positive or a negative. We always want to talk about back in my day, like that kids today just don't, but kids today do a lot of really good things that maybe we didn't. They have access to a lot of information, have access to, you know, if a kid wants to work on their game and learn a skill, they can go to YouTube and look at, watch a guy teach that skill step by step, you know, so they have a lot of things we didn't have, but what are some challenges that may be coaching a kid in 2020, 21 versus 1990 or 2000? Is it just all the outside noise that they have coming into their life? Um, I know that family structures have changed and things like that, but how have you, adapted to changing, you know, I guess the modern kid for lack of a better word. Well, you're, you're right. Um, it is different. And I agree with you a hundred percent. I don't think it's good or bad. It just, it's different. 
is it is what it is uh, to coin the phrase. I think that um, you know a lot of what's different with our kids today starts with the parents. You know, it used to be back in the day, as you mentioned, uh, probably with you as well, that when you grew up in your neighborhood, you went out, organized your own games, picked your teams, you know, whether it was basketball, baseball, or football, whatever season it happened to be. That was one of the ways you developed leadership. That's one of the ways you developed the ability to run a team. I thoroughly believe that's one of the things that led to me being a basketball coach was doing that at an early age. Um, and kids don't have the opportunity to do that today. We as parents organize it all for them. They just show up and play. So that's a, it's a little different just, and then you throw in social media and obviously that's a, that's a big word in today's uh, society and being able to coach young people. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing, if you ask me, what is the biggest thing that we have changed since I mentioned we've coached in four different decades or whatever it is, five decades, four decades, whatever. It used to be, you didn't have to tell them why you just told them what, and now it's important that you tell them, this is what we want you to do. And this is why we need to do it. The other thing I would say coupled with that is I know maybe it wasn't as important in, in our day, not only that we didn't know why, but we just carry out orders and didn't really think. Well, kids today, they want, they think, they, they want to know uh, what's behind it. And you can't, you can't be wrong. So if you don't know, you better not say, because they can Google it, you know, get on their phone, find it out in a heartbeat. So I, I really believe that being honest. Now I'll say this. I think, I think this can be really hard at times. And if you ask any player, what is the, what is the one thing, the most important thing you'd like to have out of your head coach or out of your coach? I think most players would probably say honesty. They want, they want you to be honest until, right. until you are. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, coach doesn't get me. He doesn't understand me. He's picking on me. He doesn't get my game. He doesn't know my game, whatever. And I tell our players all the time, listen, um, you, you don't need more friends. Your friends are going to tell you what you want to hear. You need allies. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, but it's really difficult to do that if you haven't built a relationship. So the second thing I would say is the relationship piece of this. Um, the relationships I've I mean, I look back and the coaches I've had a lot of times are the most influential people I've had in my life. And I have great relationships with them now. My uh, junior high coach, uh, 
I talk to him three, four times a week. And I still call him coach because that's who he is. Um, but I can tell you, I didn't have a great relationship with him when I was playing for him. I came to practice. He told me what to do. I busted my butt. He told me not to drink uh, soda and pop, and I didn't, and to get in bed at a certain time, and I did. And again, I didn't ask why on any of those things. And uh, today, I think it's more important that you are building that relationship with your with your kids. They need to see you and who you are. They need to see who you really are. They need to see you other places in practice where you're in a, you know, more relaxed scenario. Um, so that, I think those are probably the biggest things they want to know why, and they want a relationship. Yeah. I would, you know, for coaches listening or coaches who are assistants, who be a head coach, you might as well be prepared to tell the why when you say something, Yeah, you know, really, whether it's uh, like you said, a diet or sleep you know just don't say hey you go to bed you need to almost throw out some stats about recovery and things like it's just going to be better yes yes yeah or you know if i'm telling this kid to cut here's why i want you to cut here's what you're doing you you just need to go in with the why already if you're not then half the kids are going to tune you out that's just i think that's just life that's just facts with with kids these days Coaches, I want to talk to you for just a second about why you should seriously consider getting a Dr. Dish. First of all, their payment plan system is unreal. 12 months, no interest. I paid half up front, and then I paid the other half over the next 365 days, and I have a brand new Dr. Dish CT. On top of that, it's just the best shooting machine out there. The CT is so user-friendly, as are all their shooting machines. So reach out to Dr. Dish. Tell them you heard about them on the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast and receive a discount. You won't regret it. Your players will get better. They'll get shots up, more reps up, and you'll become a better basketball team. Reach out to Dr. Dish. Follow them on all social media at Dr. Dish B-Ball. Now back to our guest. With all that being said, I do think kids are looking for, um, they're, they're looking to be coached. And I think all the all the really good players uh, they want to be coached. Uh, you know, they want to be, they want to get to that next spot, whatever that spot might be. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I thought I was having here, and it's, you know, it's kind of on the same line, but, you know, I see this on social media a lot. And again, I don't put a lot of stock in social media. I think half of it is just garbage. Actually, I think 99.9% of it is, but have I hear a lot of coaches say things on Twitter about, Hey, they quit recruiting a kid based on how parents acted and stuff like that. I mean, is that true? Because I'm talking, we're talking about culture and leadership. If you see a kid you like, and the parents are acting crazy, has it, would that affect how college coaches, you don't have to give specific examples, but does that play a role or is that just something people throw out there or you're like, no, this kid's going to come under my wing for four years. We can mold them. We can influence them. You know, is that the case? Well, what do they always say that the best place you could ever coach at is an orphanage? <laughs> um, and we always Never. say players, 
players don't pick their parents. So, right. Yeah. Uh, kids don't kids don't pick their parents. But with that being said, and you're asking me my opinion from a realistic standpoint across the board in college athletics, I think probably that unless that young man is just really, really, really good and is just a great kid and they've got developed a relationship with him. If you go see parents being out of control with a high school coach or with an AAU coach, that's certainly a red flag. Yeah. Without question. Yeah. I was just curious because I hear a lot of coaches say that because obviously, you know, I'm a high school coach and I just hope that good kids walk in the door. There's no recruiting. There's no, I mean, if anything, I'm recruiting kids who maybe haven't played. Like I've got two kids playing this year that I just saw them in PE one day. It's like, hey, man. You're you you're it's a good awesome. looking yeah you're that. a good looking athlete. Well, maybe they got cut in middle school and grew six inches, or maybe like eh. So I've got two kids coming out, or actually made the team this year that I just recruited on my own campus. Um, what are some mistakes that maybe you made in the past, or just coaches can make when it comes to culture? You know, maybe uh, you know what what do you think about that? Because I'm sure we've all made mistakes. We look back on, but obviously that's part of growing as a coach you know, we get better and better, but what are some mistakes a coach can make when it comes to instilling culture? Well, a couple of these, um, I've already mentioned, um, I'm going to give you three things. I think the first mistake is, is being seduced by talent. And yeah. Uh, and I'm glad you brought that point up as a high school coach, you don't get to recruit your players, but also you don't, the opportunity to be on your team is a privilege. It's, it's not a right. And if you have someone who doesn't fit your culture, then, then they don't need to be on your team because at the end of the day, they're going to be a cancer. You know, I'd like to share this. And this is, this is a little bit, um, this is a little bit off the topic in terms of what you just asked. And then if I can, I'll come back to that. But I brought up Coach Bennett, and he mentioned this. I, I heard him speak at a clinic years ago, and he referenced an Army study where the Army did this extensive study on all their soldiers, and they broke them down into three groups. Group one was willing and able. You know, those are your kids who are talented. They're hard workers. Um, they're going to run through the wall for you as a coach. So basically all you got to do is point them in the right direction and let them go and give them occasional praise. And group two was the willing and unable. These are kids that do anything for you. Maybe the couple kids you pick up in PE class, they'll be great teammates and they could be tremendous players on the floor. As long as you give them small tasks, and your very specific roles and you heap them with praise because they're not getting the same um, accolade response that your stars are getting, obviously. And then the third one are the guys that are unwilling and able. These are the guys, they've got all the talent in the world, but for whatever reason, they don't want to be coached. And fortunately, these guys, I mean, you've heard different names for them, a con artist, you know, a cancer, a coach killer. And those people will, if you allow them to be in your program, 
they will take away from your team faster than any other thing. They'll be more detrimental to you than any opponent you'll ever play. So it's better to surround yourself with really good people that are going to buy into you, you as a coach and your culture and not think, I can coach this kid. I found out a long time ago, uh, there's a lot of hats I have to wear as a coach, but being a sociologist and trying to change 18, 19, 20 years of behavior is really difficult to do. So I think that's the first mistake, being seduced by uh, talent. And then you've mentioned it when we very first started this conversation, Matt, um, how important culture is. And you can have the best players in the world and a bad culture, and you're not going to win. You will not be successful. You can have average players and a great culture, and you got a chance. You got a chance to win. So there's, you know, you, and it only takes, there's an, there's a reason that, you know, back in the day, the old saying was, you know, one bad apple in the barrel, uh, and the rest, you know, are going to turn rotten. So, um, it only takes one to really hurt your culture. You know, a couple things that we didn't mention in the beginning that I think are really important as well that, that I think will resonate with your listeners is, is culture is an everyday thing. And you got to fight for it every day. There are so many people on the outside that are trying to take it away from you. You, ha you have to fight for it every day. You mentioned it in terms of the, uh, the outside noise. You know, the white noise, that's out there, a ton of it. You know, that when you have the TV and it's not on a station and it's got all that, you know, static, that's out there constantly, whether it's social media, whether it's it's parents, girlfriends, friends, uh, people in the dorm that are trying to take away from what you're trying to accomplish with your players and your team. So it's important that you have people that are willing to buy into that. Yeah. And, I and, think the and second even mistake, the second say, mistake. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, and now you have all these kids listening to complete strangers. Oh, that's the thing. So, like, the girlfriend they know, the parents they know, the aunt and uncle. But now they go on social media, and there's thousands of just complete strangers, either tearing them down, usually tearing them down. So now they've got that whole complete other world that can really affect their attitude, their effort, their, all those things. Anyway, I just want to throw that in there for, as well. Yes, no, you're right. And it takes a, it takes a winner. It takes yeah. a winner to be able to shut those things out and understand it's not about the people who tell me what I want to hear. It's about the people in my life who are truth tellers and going to tell me what I need to hear. Mm -hmm. the, the second thing I was going to say that I would mention is holding your, your, your players, the people in your organization, your staff, the people in your program, holding them accountable. You know, that's the biggest difference between competition and winning is accountability. You, you, if you're unwilling as a coach to make the tough decisions and hold your people accountable, then you'll have nothing but chaos. You yeah. have to hold them accountable. And then we mentioned this one earlier as well, but I think just being who you are, you know, you can't be somebody different. You can't say, okay, I'm going to take this kid and I've got to, I've got to walk on the eggshells around him. 
You can't coach scared. You can't be different. Kids sniff that out in a heartbeat. You've got to be who you are, and you've got to be that way all the time. And and that makes me think of when, as guys listen to a podcast with you or go to tons of coaching clinics, we hear guys speak that we respect, and we try to mirror everything they do. So, like, for example, my pillars might align with yours, but they're going to be a little different. I may not have unity. I may not have passion. So coaches can't just hear someone who's successful right. and think I'm going to copy their terminology, copy their acronym or whatever. It That's doesn't right. work. It doesn't work that way. I've done, I've tried that. I've gone to stuff like, man, that was really awesome. I'm like, man, that just doesn't, that doesn't fit me or it's just too much for, for my program or past program. We need two cornerstones two things we focus on, not four, not six. So I just think that's something coaches get caught up in is just trying to mirror a successful coach. And you've got to have your personality and still adapt some things from them. Well, you ask how mine had changed. When I first started, mine were trust, faith, and commitment. And I did that because uh, I was a big fan of Lou Holtz mm-hmm. and when he was at Notre Dame. And that, those were his, trust, faith, commitment. And as we went along and went through the years, they evolved into hard work, toughness, passion, unity, mm-hmm. because that fits who we are. That fits who I am. Right. Yeah. And that's how, and, and like our, our culture and our philosophy is evolving. It could be depending on the job we take, what type of kid we have, what level it is. So all these things, we don't have to have a cultural like obviously your core standard, right? Your core is your core, right? Like you could not, not have hard work. It's just who Um, you are. Right. And that's, that's who I am. The toughness factor of it. You know, some of the greatest compliments I've gotten is from coaches that were in leagues that I left and took a new job. And a couple of years later, you run into them and they're saying, you know, it's just not the same. They're a good team, but it's just not, they don't have that same identity of tough toughness and just grit and grind that your teams have. And that's a great compliment on one hand. Um, absolutely. But they're, you know, um, we, we go to school and, and we, and we learn and we develop a foundation, a base. But then as, as you take over a program um, you have to not just know what to think, but you have to understand how to think. And there are no steps. You know, this is not like, okay, these are what you've got to do to build a culture. You know, you follow these, these four steps and you'll have a great culture. It's always changing. It's always evolving. It's changing with you. It's changing what, as you mentioned, with your environment, uh, who makes up your program, what level you're coaching at, it changes. Yeah, and and some coaches just define culture, environment, however you want to say it, is just what is the acceptable behavior? So, like, what is acceptable? Well, a kid knows, man, I've got a D in algebra one. I've been sleeping. In, no, that's not going to cut it. Or I'm going to show up five minutes. Like when I tell coaches, and I don't even think it's an issue because the school I'm at now, 
kids just show up early. I don't have to talk about being early. We have 7 a.m. workouts right now. We're starting at 655 or 650 because every kid's there. That's part but of your culture. I, I never talk about be, I don't really ever talk about being on time anymore. Kids just know, oh man, if I walk in five minutes late, everyone's gonna be there. Like it's just it's just part of I think it was already almost there before I was there. But it's just one of these things where some coaches are all dealing with the the be on time. I'm like, if you're dealing with the be on time part, boy, that's gonna be tough to coach. Let me tell you something. It's amazing the coaches at the collegiate level that deal with that. And because for whatever reason, but for us, we're like you. Our culture has always been of one where Lombardi time is a big piece of who we are. If you're early, you're never late. And uh, it's not something I have to be concerned with. Yeah, and, and I have no seniors uh, this year. So I'm talking, I got a bunch of ninth and 10th graders without driver's licenses. And it's just like, they just know, hey, mom, we're leaving at 6.30, be there by 6.45, man. We start at <laughs> 7. And my kids, they just want to be there. Like if I said we're going at 6.30 instead of 7, they'd be there at 6.15. Right. So, but again, that's just accepted behavior. But I really, I rarely ever mention time. It's just one of those things that we just, that's just who we are. Um Let's talk about before we we get you know get off here. You mentioned mentorship earlier. Let's talk about how how you use mentorship in your program, player to player, coach to player, and why that's such an important role. Is we want these guys to be prepared when they step out of college at twenty two years old and be prepared for the real world and real jobs and husbands and dads and all that type of stuff. The real important stuff. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> and there's a couple of different things that go into this. As we mentioned, there are no steps. There's there's not a there's not a map to follow. There's nothing like that. But I do think there are some there are some common denominators on things that can help you develop um, your culture to develop mentorship. Um, we've already talked at nauseum about one of them, and that's that's getting the right people. You know, recruiting the right people. I think the second one is is having a vision and being able to paint a compelling uh, vision to your team. It's up to you as a head coach to do that. There's a reason people want to follow you. And as, as your team goes through that and matures and you get to be, you know, freshmen, sophomores and sophomores to juniors and juniors to seniors, uh, they've embraced those things. Um, I wrote down a couple of notes here. Again, I think honesty uh, is extremely important because what does honesty do? It creates a level of trust and trust allows us to have a family atmosphere. I think it's important. A lot of programs, a lot of coaches talk about family. We want it to be family. And what do you have in a family generally? You've got uh, you got a mom and a dad, um, at, at least at least a parent, and that that's your coach, that's your leader. You maybe have an older brother, or older sister. Those are our seniors, our juniors, and you look up to them. So we tell our guys, you've got a little brother coming in. If you're a senior, you got a little brother coming in as a uh, as a freshman, and it's up to you to make sure that you you show that guy the ropes. 
I don't like to do a lot of, I don't have a lot of rules. I'm not a rule guy. Um, I, w- I want, we've got standards in place and expectations and our players know what those are. Uh, again, to reference what you mentioned, which I thought was outstanding is, is time. Um, you don't have to worry about that. And I'm sure your older players are telling your younger players, listen, it's expected here. You're on time. You're going to be early. And, and you need to do that. And that's what they do. And so that's, that's, that's a little bit of building that mentorship. I think you have to have some, um, uh, you've got to create ownership. You know, I allow my seniors to have, now my seniors and sometimes juniors, I don't really allow our freshmen and sophomores, depend, even no matter who they are, to have a lot of voice in things. I want the guys that have been here, that have been through the ropes, and um, you know, I'm gonna listen to them. It is nothing for me to call a timeout, and this would be something I would either do with an upperclassman or later in the season. And we get over in a timeout and look at, you know, Matthew Wilson, who's a senior on our team, and say, Matthew, what are you seeing out there? What 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 can we do here? and get his input, that creates ownership. Um, I allow our players to make decisions and I lean on our seniors again. We're very much a senior oriented program. Uh, Getting to that point, this is my, really my first group of seniors that have been through with us now uh, here at Arkansas Fort Smith. So I want my seniors to make decisions about things that you know, I really don't care as much about, you know, okay, what time do you guys want to practice Saturday? You tell me. You want to go in the morning? You want to go in the afternoon? What time? What time, if we if we happen to go on a Sunday, which we don't do a lot of, but if we happen to go on a Sunday, um, what time do you want to practice on Sunday? Um, you know, we, we've got to make two stops on our way to on this trip. What do you guys want to eat? What do you want? So just things like that, let them make those decisions. And so they feel it's important. But I've also uh, brought our upperclassmen in and I meet with them one-on-one and as a group. And, you know, I outline to them, this is where we are. This is what we need to do. This is where we need this guy to be. I need your help here. You know, so they, they have a voice and they're a part of it. That creates ownership. And then I think they feel, I know they feel much more comfortable when they're in a practice setting and they're trying to help an underclassman, you know, and teach him what to do. And when you've got a culture where your, your upperclassmen are mentoring and helping your younger guys, whether it's find a classroom on campus or where to get help with a class or just eliminated a lot of things that maybe I would have been asked to do, but you've created a greater bond. And what do we always say? Um, a player-led team can be good. A, a coach-led team, excuse me, can be good. A player-led team can be great. And so we're trying to create those leadership skills because at the end of the day, as you mentioned, we are trying to prepare people to go on to successful lives after college. And sometimes I feel like we are the last, we're, we're their 
last stop. We're the last people they have that are going to have the ability to tell them what they need to hear, but love them and be there to pick them up and, uh, you know, put an arm around them and give them a lifesaver when they need it um, that they're going to have. Because once they get out in the real world, it's not going to be like that. You know, they're not going to care. So um, we've got to create those people to be, our people to be successful in that environment and then to go on to be successful husbands and fathers and leaders in their own communities. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, many times the, the coach is the only person or sometimes the last adult in their life that will give them correct guidance uh, based on their backgrounds or whatever they have going on. But well, coach, man, we covered a lot there. Um, anything else you want to add? I know you could probably talk for four hours about this and every topic we bring up, but anything else you want to throw out there to a young coach listening who maybe doesn't have that first head job yet, but they're, they want one, or maybe they're, maybe they just got their first job. I think we've covered quite a bit. Um, I do think the uh, mistakes were big. I'm glad you asked me that question. That's the first time I've been asked that. Um, and, you know, that's, you try to learn from the mistakes of others. Um, and like I mentioned before, um, you know, I've made a mistake. You know, I've taken a kid who I thought, you know what, I, I can coach that kid. I'll figure it out. We'll, we'll get it done together. And, you know, nine out of 10 times, it just doesn't, doesn't work. Um, I've never been one that has not uh, been willing to hold our kids accountable. I'm not afraid of confrontation. I think confrontation is good. I try to promote that with our team, that confrontation is just healthy, uh, trustworthy conversation between two people trying to move ahead, to move forward, both trying to move forward. Um, and, and we, we hit the nail on the head there talking earlier. You can't copy somebody else. Yeah. You've got to be who you are. Yep. Um, I would say this. I think that um, a big part of us promoting, uh, building our culture is to challenge our kids daily. Um, we want to create a competitive environment. I think competition creates growth. Now, it's it's tough because in today's world, and I'm not so sure it's it wasn't that way in our world as well, but in today's world where there's so much, you know, me, 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 mm -hmm. you, you've got to you've got to work as a coach to build a collective competitive spirit and not just that, um, that one-on-one, -on -one. well, uh, I'm going to be better than you. It, it makes me think of this. And this goes back to the old Dean Smith. Uh, you know, whenever you make a basket, you know, point to the guy who gave you the pass. I never have to tell the kid to not do that. Every kid is like point a finger up in the air, like, we do so many things in the game that just look at me, look at me, look at me, whether it's making a basic layup or an assist, like just this kind of hype game we have going on. It's like me, 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 me. And yeah, I think the, 
and the toughest struggle for me. I mean, I'm a selfish guy myself in a lot of ways, but you know, to try to get the kids to think about the the teammate, uh, the whole, the big picture there can be tough. It's such a narcissistic society um, in so many ways. Well said. Um, I think so. One of the things you do that you constantly work on as a coach is to celebrate those who uh, recognize and who execute your culture, your philosophy. And you try to celebrate them in, in as grand a manner as you can so that others are seeing it. So your program is not just built on star players or points scored or yeah. whatever, but it's built on, um, as you talked about with Coach Smith, pointing out the teammate that made the uh, pass to you. Yeah. So good stuff as usual, Coach. Uh, again. I hope so. No, I, I, I really That's... enjoy culture uh, and, 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 and talking about it. Again, it's difficult. It's something it is you're hard. fighting for every day, and you can lose it in a moment. So yeah. it's it's something that you've really got to stay true to and live yourself. Uh, I've been fortunate because I think your staff is really important in that. You know, I've been blessed with great staffs along the way. But, you know, right now my son is my assistant coach, and I couldn't have anybody that – you know, that bleeds our culture, understands our culture, uh, lives our culture uh, greater than he does. You know, he played for me. That's one of the things I think having former players uh, on your staff yep. uh, who did that is is just, it's invaluable. Um, but yeah, no, I appreciate it. Again, it's an absolute honor uh, to be with you again, Matt. You do a great job. I enjoy listening. I can't wait for the next one always to come out. I do a lot of well, the ne- my, hey, the next the next one's you, so <laughs> may not listen to that one. But uh, I do a lot of uh, my my workouts today are more trying to walk, and uh, I try to get quite a few miles in. So I like a, a podcast that's going to last about an hour, an hour and fifteen minutes long. <laughs> And yours have been phenomenal. Well, I appreciate it. You're very kind. And, uh, hey, let's do it again later in 2021 sometime. I'm all about it. And keep doing what you're doing for coaches. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review and also leave a comment about what you enjoyed most about today's guest. I hope you'll join us on our next episode.